This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Don't forget, Time subscribers can read our shiny new look Redbox morning email. Uh, every morning, Patrick McGuire's in your inbox just after 8.30 with a full round of everything you really need to know about what's going on in politics and a little bit of gossip too. For subscribers, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Redbox. If you're not a subscriber yet, frankly, what do you do? If you want to get in touch at all about anything that we discuss on the podcast, you can email me matt at times.radio, matt at times.radio. If there's uh, any comments you've got, any questions you'd uh, like us to ask or just something you'd like us to cover in a future pod, uh, you can email me matt at times.radio. Right, coming up on today's episode then is the first PMQs of 2023. Tim Shipman joins me to pause the action live from the House of Commons as uh, Keir Starmer goes up against Rishi Sunak. That's coming up in just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with our columnist panel. The Columnists on Times Radio. Every Wednesday we're joined by uh, Crampon, but uh, we've only got half of the day. We've got Robert Crampton. Morning. Good morning, Matt. Nice to see you. Uh, no Alice Thompson today, but we have got Manvin Rana from Stories of Our Times. Hello, Manvin. Hello. And you're both in the studio, which is yeah. nice. But it's not Crampon anymore, you know, it's Alibut. Oh, he is? Yes, Crampon. Yes, yeah. you're right. Crampon. That was yeah. ages ago. It was ages ago. That's one for the real, <laughs> total the real nerds. But <laughs> yeah. they got in early. Real purists. Uh, yeah, purists, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. their early stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, what were the Beatles called before they became the Beatles? The Silver Beatles. <laughs> no, but they they were uh, called something else. Well, yeah, they were. I can't remember. I've basically Quarrymen. Quarrymen, very yeah. good. Well, I've well, likened well. you and Alice to the Beatles. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I'll take it. Yeah. Not done anything good for ages. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's move on. Catalog though. Yeah. Good back catalog. Very strong back catalog. <laughs> Still cranking out the hits. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's not Alice, it's Manveen. It's Manveen, which is much <laughs> yeah. more important. Um, have we had enough of strikes, Manveen? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, done with them, really. I mean, they're, they're not going away, are they? Um, I, I've sort of got to the point where they mostly don't affect me, though. Yeah. You know, I... Well, don't, don't, you go, get Ill. don't go skiing or anything yeah. today. Yeah. Don't get ill. I think that's the scary Keep part. Keep off the pogo stick the, <laughs> today. <laughs> yeah. Try not to have an accident. Uh, I think I'd be much more worried if I had a, an underlying condition of some yeah. sort. That'd be yeah. terrifying right now. Yeah, but, you know, the train ones, I think everyone's sort of working around. Well, they've now ended, haven't they? Now. I was quite surprised. Having sort of lived with them for so long, there's now no more train strikes on the cards. 
I didn't know that. There's bus. I know there's bus strikes this week. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know that. The, like I don't, think there's, being, a, I don't I, think there's a more date set. There hasn't been a settlement. So no, there hasn't. But so, they just haven't. You know. And I think uh, Mick Lynch has been up in front of MPs today. Yes, I just, yeah, saying I just, he was asked on a scale of one to ten, how close are you to a deal? Yeah. And he said, "Can we have zero in that scale?" Right. So I guess there are going to be some more strikes. <laughs> or maybe, well he's, maybe he's got some other cunning plan. I wonder, uh, I wonder though whether the, the 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 public mood is sort of neither for nor against, but just put it on the pie with all the other stuff. It's just sort of there in the background mm. of like it, things don't work whether there are strikes or not. It does feel a bit like that to me, and that is really dangerous because you can kind of learn to live with anything. I mean, people learn to live in the Blitz, but it wouldn't mean it was a good thing. <laughs> you know, it wasn't it wasn't good for the country. It's that weird thing when people say with the Blitz spirit. It's like it yeah, wasn't good. I mean, lots of people yeah. died. Lots of people died, and apparently, according to the Times, a thousand more people a week yeah. than ought to be dying are dying. Yeah, mm. and people aren't getting to work, and the whole in terms of the the transport stuff, I think that's reinforcing the working from home thing, which I'm beginning more and more to think of as a bit of a disaster. Yeah, uh, especially for young people. Uh, they're not getting, you know, into any sort of office uh, or whatever routine. Mm. I'm talking about my own kids here in particular because yeah. uh, I see it. Maybe if you're my age, you can, have, you know, it's, yeah, it's fine. You can probably do a couple of days at home, a couple of days in the office, no problem. But I think youngsters want to get in there and feel part of something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, learn. And, and learn. And that's something. how you yeah. learn. That, yeah, and that's how you feel your sense of belonging and how you learn the job. Yeah. So that is, I think, um, causing a major long-term problem, even though we are all adapting to it, but not in a good way. I do think sort of, you know, Robert mentioned the excess deaths. I think that's probably the greatest danger for people who are striking at the moment. It's just that, you know, that comes from a greater malaise. You know, we know that the causes are much bigger and they've gone on for much longer, but there is a danger that people start to see the strikes as one of the causes yeah. for that. Um, and, you know, that, that would be terrible for them. But I think if you... It is a cause. If you if you're need an ambulance and the ambulance is on strike, yeah. Then, well, it's it's difficult. I think yeah. it's sort of it's both a symptom and a yeah. cause. It's a yeah. symptom mm -hmm. of the fact that everybody in the health service feels overworked because there's been a lack of funding for such a long time. Yes. They, things haven't worked for such a long time. There's been so much pressure. Yeah. But as a result, it's now that the strikes are happening, it'll become a cause and feed into it. But it, there is yeah. a danger that it'll be the the cause that most people think of when they suffer. Yeah. You know, when their appointment gets cancelled, when somebody they know dies. Yeah. I'm not sure that's happening yet, though, is it? I don't think it is yet, no. but I think yeah. that, that's that's the thing they should be most worried about. Well, it's a sort of great unspoken thing, particularly with the ambulance drivers and sort of nurses, is that, of course, people are going to die who wouldn't yeah. otherwise, because that's yeah. the point. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you're going to have a strike in which there is no impact, yeah. I'm not saying that they want people to die, well, is, but they provide a life-saving service. That is their service. job to keep people alive. And if you withdraw alive. that, yeah. Then, yeah. then it's clearly going to yeah. be... Yeah, it is their job to keep people alive. Effect, yeah. And... I've said this, I think I said this last week to Patrick, but I'll say it again. They, they, the nurses and the ambulance workers are obviously popular, but because people meet them in extreme yeah. circumstances and they help them and sometimes yeah. save their life. But part of the reason they're popular is because they don't go on strike. Mm. But, and now they do go on strike. So that, is, that can change quite quickly. Also, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. You know, um, if, if the people who take the emergency calls are on strike, what is their system to replace it? Because actually during the, the ambulance strikes that took place before, apparently people received sort of better emergency care because they were getting consultants off the walls to come and do right, that. Yeah. So as a result, you actually had a higher rate of success well, when people got in. People said that when the border force went but on you strike. Yes, yeah. because the army yeah. came in. Yeah. The fact that the weekend... Yeah. But you just someone, can't do that every day. No. There was someone, I think... I'm going to say it was from the Bridge Medical Association, but I'm not sure, on with Kate and Adam on... Times Radio on Sunday and was asked about junior doctors going on strike and the, you know, won't that mean that people will be, will suffer as a result? And yeah. they said, well, no, because actually you're exactly that. Yeah. You're basically... 
those sort of overnight cover and things that junior doctors normally do then get covered temporarily by consultants. Yeah. So you end up with like the top boffins treating yeah. you rather than someone who's just at university. I mean, I'm sure that has an impact. You know, there's probably yeah, sort yeah. of uh, consultant appointments that get delayed and, yeah. you know, there's always a knock-on. But, uh, you know, I think it might be harder to sort of pinpoint yeah. excess deaths on the days to... But I suppose then politically what it does is all feeds into the general sense of nothing's working, everything's a bit rubbish. Yeah. Which is, which that that actually is where, you know, the Tories ended up in the 90s. There were individual things, but it's the overall, people don't focus on, normal people going about their lives thinking about politics, well, they don't think about politics, but then when they do focus on it, they don't think about, statistics and numbers and who's right. you know there's a, a sense and a mood yeah it's, it's scary because it becomes part of the national character yeah you know it's just like well nothing works that we don't expect it to yeah and i can feel myself falling prey to that a little bit yeah. i mean we probably all do a little yeah. bit I think oh god you know bus hasn't turned up or whatever yeah. and things that would maybe you give greater you give they become part of a narrative and you give them greater credibility than you otherwise would well in fact there's a small thing and actually it turns out i found it but i'd lost my card for the train because i've got a bp card with the season ticket on oh yeah i couldn't find it this morning i thought i bet i left it on the train last night or something so i thought well i'll, I'll email and just get the new one sent i got a reply back saying they aim to respond in four weeks yeah <laughs> southwest railways <laughs> yeah that's not very ambitious is it so um, much for your season ticket. because it's so yeah um, a whole month of my season ticket yeah. And that's only to respond. I mean, yeah. who knows when the replacement... Luckily, my wife's been in my trousers and she's found it. But so, so <laughs> Lucky you. Disaster, and it, presumably because in four weeks' time, they'll finally pick that. But I mean, yeah. How, yeah. how is a multi-million pound chain company promising to respond to a... Uh, I mean, it's my fault for losing it, but respond to no, a customer's... I think you're right. I sort of, um, I've noticed this because, you know, we went through a phase, um, you know, over the last decade or two where you just expected to have 24-hour, here's the customer mm. care line and yeah. somebody will respond. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it was the pandemic, but it feels like that's over. I think that's it was over. a lot of this was the pandemic. And, well, they were sort and of they saying, haven't replaced it. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and that's you know that's fed into government whether you know passports and well HMRC yeah. there's a vest, MPs yeah. are asking why ninety nine thousand phone calls didn't go uh, went unanswered by HMRC yeah. over Christmas. Yeah, I think that's partly why people were so frustrated with government though because they'd got used to everything else in life being fast. Yes, you know if something didn't work, you could it's pick true. up the phone and you'd mm-hmm. get an instant. Even if it was like somebody in a call centre who was just logging it, it felt like somebody was on it. Yeah. Whereas government was still moving at a very slow pace. There is, yeah. and now it feels like everything's yeah. Fine. It's everything's... also a perfect storm because it's combined with a serious structural labour shortage, which yeah. is partly to do with the pandemic and partly to do with Brexit, uh, which means that even things like Pret, for instance, where you used to be, you, like you say, you were absolutely used to instant service in Pret or Starbucks or Costa, yeah. and that that's gone because yeah. there's only there's only three people working there rather than eight. Yeah. Uh, but it's yeah. that whole thing of if you can get a telly delivered tomorrow, yeah. why can't yeah. I get a new train ticket? Yeah. That's the anyway. I want to hear on about it because it turns out yeah. the ticket's been found. So it <laughs> yes, exactly. It was your fault. Not <laughs> Thank God for Mrs. Choi. We'll, we'll yeah. revisit this in four weeks' time to find <laughs> yeah. out that it's all been stopped. Can we get yeah. her to sort out the strikes yeah. too? Yeah. yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe the solution to the strikes <laughs> is in my trousers. It's for Mrs. Choi <laughs> to look in your trousers more often. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> this is right. taking a turn. Let's move on <laughs> and talk about. Let, yeah, he's, he's very bad for the crowd. At least he hasn't sworn, which is something. Uh, let's talk about uh, Rishi Sunak. He's going to uh, address. He's going to broadcast to the nation. He says it's not just a party political broadcast. Oh, no, right. he's going to broadcast to the nation. It's his first tonight. It's on uh, BBC Night TV. All sounds r- rather grand, but um, let's take a, let's take a listen to the teaser clip. I mean, it's so exciting, isn't it? It's like a new yeah. series of succession. Uh, this is the teaser clip of his broadcast to the nation. I guarantee that your priorities will be my priorities. I will only promise what I can deliver. 
and I will deliver what I promise. Yeah. Well, is that, is that, does that make it must listen? Do you think you will be tuning in, Robert? No, I won't. And it's, I mean, it's it's cringeworthy, isn't it? Really? I mean, I forgot. I mean, party politicals and because uh, it is a party political, yeah. really, isn't it? I mean, I'd forgotten they sort of happened. Well, just, really. it just it just yeah. is a party political broadcast. Yeah, and they were always cringeworthy, and that's I mean, that's just particularly bad. And uh, well, what's so weird what with sure that is the, the video is him like doing and that the, thing of coming in and sitting down, like yeah. the, you know, the behind the scenes coming and sitting down. And I think that that voice over the top is him when he first became prime minister. So it's not. Oh right. So he's. The voice doesn't matter. His lips aren't moving. It's very yeah. weird. What what bugs me about it is that it feels like he hasn't really stepped into the role of prime minister. He's still running to be prime minister. That's interesting. You know, sort of like the videos are all still soft focus with sort of a little musical bed. Yeah. And actually you think, where have you been for the past month? All yeah. that how many interviews music have you over done? the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, how many interviews Trump have you done at a time where the country is in crisis? <laughs> Why aren't we getting the accountability you'd expect yeah. from a prime minister? Well, even the sort of reassuring statements occasionally, you know, outside like a railway station or something. You know, yeah. where, where has he been? He's... And then he turns up in sort of like a personally branded, soft yeah. focus. Yeah. This is all about my journey. <laughs> it's, yes, it's not. you're right. You're, you're like, right. It's he's got to be brand Britain rather than brand Rishi yeah, at the moment. And I don't feel like that's coming. He's starting to, I suppose, he's like, he's, you know, he's talking to the homeless thing, which didn't go so well. Although yeah. I sympathise with him over that. I think I could see what he was trying to do. And there. I think there was more to it. It turned yeah. out that the the longer clip suggested it. Yeah, I thought it was a bit unfair because he was yeah. he was basically not to, not trying to condescend condescend yeah, yeah. to the homeless person. Uh, and then he did the hospital thing, and there was a bit of high vis going on. I mean, has it been a hard hat yet? Can't be long. Before there's a hard hat. It feels like we that. haven't seen much of him in the last no, month. Though. But you're right. I mean, there's that, like one big interview. Um, yeah, he did though. one big speech. Theresa yeah. May did the same thing when she came in. Oh, we're not we're going to be not much less yeah. visible. That's true. Only yeah. you know, not putting a minister up every day. I know that, that. I know that often happens, but I think when you come in at a time of crisis, yeah. where yeah. literally every day everyone's saying nothing works, you kind of need to be a bit more front-footed. Yeah. yeah, people need to see you to sort of feel like even if it doesn't feel like it's working now, at it least will. Look like you're trying. That's clearly yeah. the thing. And yeah. I think that's partly what they tried to do earlier in the week with the meeting with the unions. Yeah, but it, I mean, it clearly doesn't. You know, but also it's not wasn't very visual. I don't think we saw it wasn't no. quite Mick Lynch on the steps of number ten. Yeah. And you sort of you you want a bit more of that. Yeah. You want to know what's happening, uh, and it feels like we're not getting that at the moment. And I think everyone there's a general cynicism about these. You know, the, the teaser and the soft focus and the and the little piano music in the background. I mean, it's a bit Harry, isn't it? I think it. Everyone, I mean, <laughs> it is a little. Bit, yeah, and everyone's but thinking. But also, oh, you think, more, God, more how many that. people in Downing Street did it take to put that together? Yeah. And why yeah. weren't they working on strikes? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a it's such a distraction. Yeah, who's going to watch that and think? Oh, I must put that in the diary. Yeah, <laughs> whatever it is, six fifty-five tonight. Or just mm. like, well, thank God, everything's all right then. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't feel like that's what this is, um, and I think that's probably what people wanted right now. There is something weird about. We might be, we'll, we'll return to this as an issue. I think party political broadcast. Like, what is the point of them? It seems like such a weird. There never was much point, thing. was there? And then and now there really there really isn't. It's They're either just... forgettable or yeah. hilarious. Yeah, or cringe, or yeah, really, in a in a in a bad way, in a cringeworthy yeah. way. Yeah, well, I think we'll, I think we'll my, return my, to my favourite back in like the nineteen nineties used to be. I think it was the Natural Law Party who had a guy who was like, "I'm a magician. Yeah. I'm going to be the the chancellor if I win. I'm just going to make inflation disappear." <laughs> <laughs> and he literally had a rabbit in a hat. I, I thought, that's, that's what, what you want. That's what I want a party. That's what you want. To do. Let's talk about. Uh, becoming now. When I saw that, I thought we were going to be talking about Avatar. Those weird blue people. It's not no. that, is it, Robert? No, this is a South Korean uh, AI company uh, that, using deep fake technology has created something called Rememory, 
which apparently they say they do a few interviews with you before you pass over and they can there from that they can create a realistic avatar that your loved ones should they so desire can then interact with after you're dead and i wrote a column about this yesterday and concluded that it's a thousand pounds per conversation that my kids are just not going to uh <laughs> they're not going to sh- they're not going to shell out to hear me tell them to turn their bedroom lights off so what, each time you want interaction is another thousand well that's pounds. the way i read it well in fact, yeah. i think we've got chris uh stoker walker is a tech journalist who can sort of pick our way through this are you there chris i am i is it really you though chris or are you <laughs> are you dead <laughs> It is me this time, I promise. It well, is actually me. Know. I am well, still alive. Well, there's no way that we'd have shelled out a thousand pounds to speak to, to, <laughs> he looks, speak he looks, to virtual yeah. Chris. No, the speed doesn't go that far, does it? So explain. So this is a South Korean South Korean firm. Which is sort of they're they're sort of very much at the forefront of these mm. things, aren't they? Uh, it, ex, so explain how this technology works for us, Chris. Yeah. So uh, as Robert says, it's based on deep fake technology, which is something that we may have heard of in in the past in in sort of pretty nefarious ways, where essentially it captures your movements on video and also your voice um, then runs it through artificial intelligence computer programs to try and develop I guess a a digital version of yourself that people can interact with and you know, people uh, listening might have heard of things like chat GPT which is an AI bit of technology that was a chatbot and this is essentially a kind of I guess a video version of this where you interact with someone that you once knew after their death, you ask them questions, and the idea is that the AI can do a passable enough impression of your relative that uh, you will somehow feel comforted. I'm not entirely convinced by this. It's how, been How passable sorry. is it, Chris? Have you seen any examples? Yeah, not brilliantly. And I think it's because once you scratch below the surface, actually, you know, seven hours of training, which I think is what they expect you to do, and as well as the sort of thousand pounds um, per time that you talk to it, you also have to pay for the training session, which is like another 15, 20 grand. Um, seven hours of, of knowledge is not hugely informative, I don't think. I think that actually, you know, when you get into those deep conversations that you'd want to have with someone who's departed this world, um, you wouldn't really get that with an artificial intelligence. You'd realise very quickly um, the, the loopholes that are going through. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, yeah, I mean, as I said in the thing, I just, if my mum was still around, it'd just be, go and get me 20 silk cut from the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or put the kettle on. And and actually, I, just, actually, I don't, I mean, you know, God rest her, but I don't necessarily want to do that anymore. And if you're going to go to all that <laughs> trouble, man, part of me just thought, just get seven hours of recording yeah. of your loved yeah. ones. I mean, I've and I've done this. Um, not people are still with us, but on a couple of occasions, just recorded a conversation yeah. with a family member about yeah. sort of family stuff, like stuff you want to make sure that you don't forget and all that. Yeah. And just do that when they're alive, wisdom. and then yeah. you've got it. Or, and it's a much nice thing to do. You don't do. want to like then, yeah, yeah, grand going. That's Matt Shawley doing an impersonation of a zombie granny. <laughs> <laughs> Forgetting Remarkably he's on well. the radio. Remarkably yes. well. Yeah, yeah. No, that, um, that's just how my grand speaks. No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does feel a bit like one of those funny sort of Silicon Valley inventions yeah. where you think you've tried to re- recreate something natural and you've just done a slightly worse version. Yeah. I'd sort of much rather have the memory because... You know, the nice thing about memory is it softens the edges yeah. after you're gone. Yeah. I don't want people to remember the inane things I actually really say. Nice. I want them to point. sort of just yeah. remember, like, the collected wisdom and, yeah. and sort of think fondly. And not just the prosaic routine yeah. stuff of sort of bossing people about or getting upset about things. And, and Chris, isn't actually the, 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 the bigger, the wider issue with the sort of the deep fake technology isn't creating a zombie gran, but it's the sort of releasing videos which... Pre- 
you know, purport to show that Joe Biden's declared war on yeah. China or, or whatever. Yeah, it is. And I think that that's why it's so odd to see this type of technology being used in such a sort of converse way to what we know it is being used for at the minute. And I think that's, you know, that's where you're more likely to see this sort of stuff, short clips of people that are easy to trick rather than those in-depth conversations that you'd have with family members where suddenly you're going to see the holes in it and you know there will be holes this is launched at a, a consumer electronics show in las vegas which is known for having lots of splashy headlines uh, this time of year <laughs> and then many many few few of them actually end up we should do an audit products. is what you're saying and go back yeah. and look at what was last year so it would turn <laughs> yeah. out none of it happened uh chris or, or if indeed it is chris uh thank you for joining us chris stoker walker there uh to talk us through this um yeah i'm not sure that's going to catch on maybe we can replace all the times columnists because you all say the same thing every week just replace you all much, with yeah. ro with yeah robots I although you are cheaper than a thousand pounds i went to so. see the uh, abba thing uh, the, the, oh yeah, yeah. i'm that, going is it good uh, yeah it's brilliant that pretty much works yeah yeah but then, and but it's very expensive, as Bjorn and Benny keep saying. <laughs> and that's only just putting out a few it, hits. It's basically but, just stick a DVD on, isn't it? Well, yeah. yeah. I watched Mamma Mia for the 17th time. Manveen Varner and Robert Crampton there. And of course, you can read Robert in the Times every week. You can listen to Manveen every day on the Stories of Our Times podcast, our sister podcast. Just download that wherever you get your podcast from. Right, up next is PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now, it's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's PMQ's Unpacked. You can listen along on uh, Times Radio. You can watch along on the Times Radio YouTube channel, as uh, hundreds of you are already. Uh, just go on uh, YouTube and uh, and uh, search Times Radio. So you can see, but not just my uh, big fat face, but also the... Um... My big fat face. Well, I wasn't. I realised I'd sort of walked into that slightly. Tim Shipman, uh, Sunday Times Chief of Commentator. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm still fat, Matt. Yes, no, good. Yes, very good. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to all... All of our, our listeners. listeners. All of our listeners. Uh, joining they in, may be. They are in uh, Sweden. They are in Pennsylvania. Uh, they are in Taunton. 
uh, and they're posting comments at Manchester and they're posting comments about Andrew Bridget. Do you think Andrew Bridget will come up at PMQs? I think it's possible that he does. I mean, it's so off the charts um, that, um, you know, it's a, it's an open goal for Starmer if he wants to take it. It's one of those things that maybe he won't make a question of, but he sort of might refer to in passing or use as one of his punchlines. Um, but there's quite a lot else going on as well. What would be, if you were, I think you are occasionally a betting man, what would be what would you bet on coming up at PMQ today? Well, it's it's Keir slightly Starmer. perilous terrain always for Starmer, but I would be it's hard to see him looking past the NHS and strikes and, and you know the government's failure still to resolve all that. He did quite a lot of that before Christmas, and it's still rumbling on. You know, there's various talk of um, uh, the money going up for the uh, for the train people, um, and there's been you know there have been more conversations. Um, uh, with the, the health unions than there were before Christmas, but it's still going on and, you know, it's meat and drink for Labour to uh, weigh in on the NHS. So I'd be surprised if that doesn't come up at some point, but, uh, you know, they've had all Christmas to think about something clever, so it's not out of the question <laughs> that Labour will, uh, you know, come up with something a little bit left field and um, try and throw Sunak. This attack uh, that we've seen on the front of the mail today, Labour opposes life-saving law to curb strikes. They was accused of putting lives at risk last night by vowing to block new strike laws. Well, I mean, Labour can't block them because the Conservatives, as far as we know, still have a majority. Still have, well, technically, yes. Uh, assuming, assuming that it gets through. I mean, the bigger thing is it, it's, not going to, it's going to take months and months and months to get onto the statute book. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a famous quote doing the rounds yesterday where Sunak says that strike laws won't do anything about strikes, which, you know, in, in essence, in terms of the strikes we've now got, that is correct. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, maybe that Mail front page makes um, Labour tread a little more cautiously than they might have done, but don't forget the Mail put um, Sabir Korma and his drinks during lockdown on the front for about 11 days straight, and that didn't seem to bother the Labour Party, so I doubt they're going to be deterred by, uh, by that one. And actually, one of the things we've seen certainly in the sort of latter stages of, of last year, is increasing confidence from Keir Starmer. That actually, it was on private schools. They've got a debate on it this afternoon, I think, on uh, Labour have got obviously a debate on uh, taxation of private schools. It was on the front of the, of the Daily Mail, sort of two or three days running, and actually he picked it up in, and used the attack uh, to his advantage to attack Rishi Sunak. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the way the world is now... Labour think they're going to win, the Tories think they're going to lose, and that changes the game a little bit. Um, gives Labour confidence, it makes different groups of Tories uh, depressed and sad and wanting their leader to do something slightly different, whereas there's, on the Labour benches there's generally a sort of benefit of the doubt for Starmer, allowing him to take the approach he wants to appeal to the public, and rather than being quite so prescriptive. So that's the world we're living in. Um, Sunak's done an OK job of closing down the total chaos and... Uh, psychodrama um, but you know we're starting a year where the leader of the opposition is certainly on the front foot and um, you know it'd be interesting to see today um, what he seeks to do with that well let's find out we can now go live to the house of commons first pmqs of 2023 it's pmqs unpacked you can watch along on the youtube channel let's go live to the house of commons it's keir starmer question one thank you mr speaker in the 13 years of the last Labour government, there were no national NHS strikes. Yeah. If the Prime Minister had negotiated with the nurses before Christmas, they wouldn't be on strike. If he'd negotiated with the ambulance workers, they wouldn't be on strike either. So why is he choosing to prolong the misery rather than end these strikes? Yeah. Prime Minister. 
Mr Speaker, we've always been clear that we want to have constructive dialogue with the unions. That is also, that is also why, when it comes to the issue of pay, we have accepted in full the independent recommendations of the pay review bodies. But now, the honourable gentleman simply doesn't have a policy when it comes to this question. If he wants, he talks. He talks about wanting to end the strikes. The question for him is simple then. Why does he not support our minimum safety legislation? We all know why. We all know why, Mr Speaker. It's because he's on the side of his union paymasters, not patients. Well, I should have said he would have said all that as well, because I could have scripted every word of that. Um, And it's a perfectly legitimate argument. And we've now had, you know, why didn't you you talk to these people and, um, you know, union paymasters? I hope Starmer's got something else up his sleeve because if we're going to get that six times, it'll be, it'll be, a, bit, a, bit, it'll be a poor introduction to. I do wonder an if exciting Ke- Keir Starmer's response to why we're supporters because it's not going to end. It won't work. It's not going to end the strikes. Yeah. No, it makes no difference. The government wants it to happen. They can. They've got a majority. They can get it on the statute book, but it's going to take months. It's not going to do anything about the current strikes. All true, but I mean, most even most what we would regard as pretty lefty countries in Europe have this kind of thing. The French have it, you know, yeah. um, the Italians have it, the Spanish have it. It's completely non-weird. Yeah, and um, actually it, does, it already exists in some, or they already pre-announced it for some sectors, and what they're talking about is expanding it. Yeah, exactly, and there, I think in the health service there are often lo- local agreements about um, um, levels of service, and this will just make it sort of national and fixed. Um, so it's all not, it's none of it's really that controversial. But as you rightly point out, it doesn't make the blindest bit of difference to what's currently going on. And it's not actually going to stop strike. I mean, that's the key thing. I mean, it might mean that it's written into law that you know a certain number of ambulance drivers have to be on duty or a certain number of trains have to run, but it's still going to be disruption and not the normal service. Yeah, and it's, this is all getting very heated. I mean, Rishi Sunak's got a big problem here because. Would he like to pay nurses more? Of course he would. Um, but he knows if he pays them too much more, um, you'll get inflation and then there'll be more um, demands for even more. Um, so they've got to strike a balance between acknowledging that this, these are groups of people who have seen their pay sort of in real terms eroded over a period of a decade um, and, you know, in the midst of a, um, you know, a, a cost of living crisis. Ultimately, they're going to have to pay them some more. And I've no doubt that's what they'll end up doing. The question is how much. Um, but there's a bit of sort of performative politics around it as well. And Sunak also needs to look relatively tough on this stuff to his own party because he's going to be spending all of 2023 looking over his shoulder, wondering whether, um, you know, Boris Johnson or the ERG or the group of people who are trying to change the rules so the grassroots have more yeah. power or the group of people who are the sort of the Truscateers who have got their own group called whatever it is, you know, Young Modern Conservatives yeah. or whatever it's called. There's there's more groups than you can shake a yeah, stick yeah. at trying to cause problems for Rishi Sunak and all of them want to see him play this in a relatively tough way. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it's it's more D-chess than it used to be. You know, there's four or five Ds in the Tory party and that's before you consider the public and the electorate yeah, yeah. and uh, what, what his own grassroots members think. And it's... You know, at the end of the day, he's got a massive problem, and I think most of the country would like him to get on and resolve it. Yeah. Well, there's also, that, I suppose, that, that ever that tension in conservative ranks. Uh, on the one hand, politically, they just get this thing resolved, but ideologically, they want to destroy the unions, and that tension's always there. Uh, so let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, let's see where this go, goes next. Uh, question two for Kestarmer. Mr. Speaker, when I clap nurses, I meant it. Yeah. His response. His response to the greatest crisis in the history of the NHS is to threaten to sack our nurses. 
His Transport Secretary says it's not the solution. His Education Secretary hopes it won't apply in schools. His own assessments say it could increase the number of strikes. The simple truth is you can't legislate your way out of 13 years of failure. Between 2010 and 2019, before anyone had heard of Covid, Prime Minister, the number of people stuck on the NHS waiting list doubled. Why do patients always wait longer under the Tories? Whoa, 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 whoa. This is the new year. I want to start off with the refreshed chamber, but certainly not by interruption. Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, he talks about the minimum safety legislation. Let's just talk about it a little bit further, because this is a simple proposition that no one, no one denies the union's freedom to strike, but it is also important to balance that with people's right to have access to life-saving health care at the same time. Mr Speaker, this, this shouldn't be controversial. This shouldn't be controversial. The International Labour Organisation supports minimum service levels. We, we have the, the, they're present in France, in Italy, in Spain. Normally, he's in favour of more European alignment, Mr Speaker. Why not now? Oh, you're right in the lines for both sides today, Tim. You know, uh, well, point, I mean, exactly a point that you were making. That was a, I mean, that was a decent exchange, I thought. I mean, I, you know, I agree with what you said at the start. Starmer just sounds more confident, doesn't he? He's, you know, he's got some good scriptwriters, um... You know, when I clap the nurses, I meant it. He sounds a bit angry. It's yeah. delivered with a bit of punch. Um, and he just seems much more comfortable having a pop at Sunak than he ever really did at Boris Johnson. He never, you know, it's obviously like nailing bombs to a wall trying to have a go at Boris Johnson. But, um, but there was always, I don't know, but there was always that sort of slight thing with Boris Johnson that if you poked him too much, he might unleash, like, basically taking the mick yes. on you. And so if you if you keep it in the, the parameters of sort of Commons debate, yes, then you could get away with it. But... There's feel that maybe there's less fear that Rishi Sunak's got, you know, Rishi Sunak uh, unleashing the full forces of his wit and wisdom possibly is slightly less intimidating. Yeah, I think so. And actually, you know, Sunak's response, and if you're a Tory MP, was not bad. You know, a bit of research there, have a pop at the International Labour Organization, you know, you cite them as a, uh, you know, evidence of what you're saying. Um, and, you know, the joke about European alignment is, is OK. Um, well, it got him through to the end without actually saying anything. Exactly. And, you know, that's fine. But as you say, there was no um, Captain Hindsight or any of no. that. Or what Boris Johnson came up with um, last night at his... Um, oh, the Carlton well, Club, his Portrait Carlton, Unveiling. Where, where he referred to Keir Starmer as Sakrasharuni Snooze Fest. <laughs> now, I'm not sure that's Johnson's finest work. But it is indicative of a genre which we no yeah, longer we do, have we, we, at we, Prime Minister's we sadly, we sadly miss. Um, just having a look at the uh, the YouTube uh, comments, John has said, just answer the question, Sunak, to which someone's replied, are you new here, John? Yes, <laughs> well, I'm glad <laughs> somebody responded on my behalf there. Uh, very good. Right, let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question number three from uh, Keir Stubber. Mr Speaker, they've gone from clapping the nurses to sacking the nurses. Absolutely. It's that simple. To add insult to injury, they're the cause of the crisis. His government commissioned a report on waiting times. He knows this. His own report says this is not a COVID problem, it's 10 years of managed decline. As a result, 7.2 million people are now waiting for treatment. He says he wants to be held to account over that. So let's be very clear. Is his promise 
merely to get those numbers back to where they were before COVID, that's 4.6 million, or back to where Labour had them in 2010, almost half of that. Which is it? Mr Speaker, again, let's just start with the facts. The Honourable Gentleman seems to completely ignore the fact that not just in England, but in Scotland and in Wales and in many other European countries, COVID has had an extraordinary impact on health services. Now, now we, we have a very clear plan to bring the waiting list down, and it's one that the NHS supports. But I tell you, I tell you what the NHS doesn't need. What they don't need is Labour's idea. What we don't need... What they don't need is Labour's only idea, which is for another completely disruptive, top-down, unfunded reorganisation buying out every single GP contract. Now, these aren't my words, Mr Speaker. The CEO of the Nuffield Trust said it will cost a fortune and it's out of date, just like the Labour Party. So that's a reference uh, there to uh, Wes Streeting in an interview with The Times on Saturday, uh, saying there are many things he wanted to do, ban smoking for everyone and uh, much else besides. Uh, you can self-refer, you know, go to dermatologist if you want to. Uh, one of the big ideas he floated was tearing up the way that GPs are employed. Uh, so they'd all be on NHS staff, whereas at the moment they're essentially self-employed um, when in their own businesses, uh, which we've talked a lot about on the show this week. Um, uh, I suppose that's that's the risk if you start actually putting big ideas out there. The opposite, the your opponents will um, use it as a stick to beat you with. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a lot of people blame that GP contract that goes back, uh, you know, twenty odd years for for being the root of some of these problems. Um, but equally, you know, big reorganisations in the NHS cost lots of money and are hugely disruptive. Um, it is curious that so much has been put in and so little is got out um but that that's sort of the way of the world at the moment um you know and again i think you know starmer asked a question there about what's the waiting list target didn't get an answer on that so we still don't know um the question sunak might ask starmer is look we've poured billions and billions and billions extra in how much more are you going to put in yeah if you're going to solve this and we don't have an answer to that question either yet but i suppose if you do if you ask that question you have to admit that that there isn't enough. You've poured loads of money in, and that's it's still a mess. So maybe you put it in the wrong place, or was you know. There's, but there's the one, two, the there's, one there's thing where I think the one thing where I think Sunak's on stronger ground is this idea that it's Starmer saying it's nothing to do with COVID. I think I think mm. the public kind of gets that a lot of people missed a lot of operations and a yeah. lot of um, you know elective surgery and a lot of treatment during COVID, and that we're now having to catch up with that. So while it's Certainly, the case that Labour needs to make the point that you know there has been, um, relatively speaking, a period of uh, less funding under this Conservative government. Um, I think if he labours that point too much, the public will sort of, sort of think that's not quite right. Actually, mate. Uh, and it was interesting. We spoke to we talked about these this excess death story. We spoke to um, uh, David Spiegelhalter from Cambridge University earlier, and he said that. Excess deaths are high in lots of sort of European countries. It's not. A, this is not a uniquely British thing, and clearly, COVID is one of the common f factors across all those countries. Uh, right, let's go. Maybe let's go. So question number four. It's PMQs unpacked on Times Radio. You can watch along on YouTube. Let's go back to the comments. Mr. Speaker, so he can't tell us how much he'll reduce waiting lists by or when. So much for accountability that he wants. 
as ever with this Prime Minister, you scratch the surface and you find there is nothing there. Last month, 1.4 million people waited more than four weeks for a GP appointment. When Labour left government, you were guaranteed an appointment in two days. When does the Prime Minister expect to get back to that? Mr Speaker, when it comes to waiting lists, we've already eliminated two-year wait lists, done last year. We're on track. We're on track. We're on track this spring to eliminate those waiting 18 months with a clear plan to go further to eliminate those waiting 52 weeks by next spring. And, and we're doing that with record funding, more community diagnostic centres, more surgical hubs and more patient choice. And that's why, Mr Speaker, I've made tackling waitlist one of my five priorities. But what, what are his? They seem to change every single week. Right? But first, he was against NHS outsourcing. Now, he's apparently in favour of it. It's inconsistent, unprincipled, and in hoc to his union. Oh, 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 oh. This is Lindsay Hoyle. Order, order. Not Can happening. I just remind the Prime Minister, it's Prime Minister's questions, not opposition questions. Here's Starbuck. Yeah. Well, that cut that, right across his peroration yeah, there, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, Inconsistent, un unprincipled, and in hoc to his union. Paymasters, <coughs> hey, I'm predicting. I, I think the, he's going to have to do that again for the benefit of the social media clip yes, later. I suspect we'll hear that little uh, little um, uh, trifecta um, in his uh, final answer. Um, I don't. I'm not sure it's the best boast in the world that we've got that, yes. rid of the two, the mere two-year waits. It was two days when when yeah. Labour were there, and now it's well, we've done away with two years. We're, we're about to do away with eighteen months. We promised to do away with a year. Oh well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the GP thing we've talked we talked about GPs actually on the show on Monday and Tuesday. Every time we do, we get inundated with people saying what a nightmare it is. They can't get appointments, and then GPs say it's a nightmare. We're trying to do our best. Royal College of GPs said that the number of people, the number of appointments, is up by nearly a fifth. In part because they've got nowhere else to go. It, you know, people are you know all turning to their GPs as the sort of first port of call. This is a massive. This is a proper sort of retail thing. If basically if the Labour Party go into the next election promising. You'll get an appointment in two days. That's a proper retail offer that will resonate. Yeah, I mean, I can think of a lot of people I know who'd vote for that. Yeah, yeah. that alone. There might even be two of them in this studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, let's see if um, uh, the, the Rishi Sunak's use of GPs or otherwise comes up again as we go back to the House of Commons. It's question number five. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I heard the Prime Minister saying he's now registered with an NHS doctor, so he'll soon enjoy the experience of waiting on hold every morning at 8am to get a GP appointment. But I can tell him that those that are waiting now don't want another round of empty promises or boasting about what he's done. They just want to know when they'll be able to see a doctor. And this is not just about routine care. There could be nothing more terrifying than being told you might have cancer. That's why the last Labour government brought in a guarantee you'd been seen by a specialist within two weeks. Today, 50,000 people are waiting longer than that. 50,000. And everyone in this House will appreciate the anxiety that they're feeling. So when will cancer patients once again get the certainty of quick care that they got under Labour? Mr Speaker, why is there a challenge with cancer times right now? I tell you... Again, again, it's just, 
I just absolutely no understanding of the situation, Mr. Speaker. What happened to cancer referrals during COVID? They went down by almost two thirds, Mr. Speaker. That was because of a pandemic that they went down. And by the way, if we had stayed and listened to him, we'd still be in lockdown and there'd be even more waiting lists. Mr. Speaker, but actually, right now, there are record levels of cancer treatment as we catch up with those missed things. But he talks about what's terrifying, Mr. Speaker. What's terrifying is right now, what's terrifying is that right now, people not knowing whether when they call 999 they will get the treatment that they need. Now, Mr. Speaker, in Australia, in Australia and Canada and the US, they ban strikes on blue light services. We're not doing that. All we're saying is that in these emergency services, patients should be able to rely on a basic level of life-saving care. Why is he against that, Mr. Speaker? So, <laughs> I'm not sure we're making a lot of progress, Tim Shipman. No, but I think it's a good, robust day yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of exchanges. And, I'm, you know, listen to the noise. I think MPs on both sides are relatively content. You know, Starmer talking about Sunak now registering with an NHS doctor and waiting on So we on should hold. explain, that seems to have been a, a, a response to a question that was before Keir Starmer. He was asked uh, about his arrangements uh, with his doctor, which uh, he said... Uh, I think at the weekend he wouldn't answer the question what he wishes to know. No. And he's, he's now said that he's registered with an NHS doctor but has used private health care in the past. Yes. Which is what... Uh, well, I suspect what happens is that if he really needs it, he phones his NHS doctor, sits on hold, is told mm. he can have an appointment in a fortnight and then promptly phones his private yeah, yeah. doctor. Um, you know, and there are lots I mean, it's of possible. services Most normal now. people would be registered with a GP, even if you have got private health. I wouldn't know because I haven't done it, but... There's, there's nothing to stop you comment. doing. There's nothing to do you, but have you doing both? No, and then soon. Oh, in fact, I think we can. I think we can now hear. This is no, this is Richard Sunak in his own words. There are no NHS dentists taking on patients in Lancaster and Fleetwood, and for those constituents of mine lucky enough to have one, they're waiting months for an appointment. So, can I ask the Prime Minister how long he had to wait for his last NHS dentist appointment? Uh, yeah. Prime Minister. Well. Mr. Mr. Speaker, we, as a result of the new reformed NHS dentistry contract, there are now more NHS dentists across the UK with more funding, making sure people can get the treatment they need. But, Mr. Speaker, let me answer the lady directly. I am registered with an NHS GP. I have used independent health care in the past. I'll answer her question. Registered with NHS GP, I have used I have used independent healthcare in the past, and I'm also grateful to the Friarich Hospital for the fantastic care they've given my family over the years. But the, but, the, but the truth is, but the truth is, Mr. Speaker, I'm proud to come from an NHS family, and that's why I'm passionately committed to protecting it with more funding, more doctors and nurses, and a clear plan to cut the waiting list. Uh, independent, independent, independent. Healthcare. Very important that. Yes, always good schools. To, always good to use that word rather than R private. Rather than private. Yeah, yeah. And what we didn't talk about because um, fire and brimstone. Sunak, in the last answer to, to Starmer, did talk about how we'd still be in lockdown if it had been down yes. to him. So those of you um, with bells at home or compiling greatest hits <laughs> or bingo cards of, um, you know, Boris Johnson legacy arguments. 
would have been having a still in lockdown now as a particular favourite and a little bit of EU. You know, we've been, we haven't quite been in the uh, European Med Medicines Agency, but there was a little there was a touch of that uh, with the uh, European alignment. Right uh, now we're going to jump back again, so we have now got the uh, final exchange. Stand by your, your social media outlets. Uh, this is the final exchange there between uh, Keir Starmer and uh, Rishi Sunak. It's question number six. There's not a minimum level of service any day because they've broken the NHS. And he's not promising that people would get to see a doctor in a few days like they did under Labour. He's not promising that cancer patients would get urgent treatment as they did under Labour. He's not even promising an NHS that puts patients first like it did under Labour. No, he's promising that, that one day, although we can't say when, their record high waiting list will stop growing. And that's it. After 13 years in government, what does it say that the best they can offer is that at some point they might stop making things worse? Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, when it comes to the NHS, it's crystal clear. The Conservatives on the side of patients, Labour on the side of their union paymasters. Mr Speaker, I've laid out my priorities for the country. Waiting lists down, inflation down, debt down, growth up, and the boats stopped, Mr Speaker. All, all he does is flip from one thing to another, and that's the difference between him and me. He's focused on petty politics. I'm delivering for Britain. Well, I think we should probably discuss the, uh, why it's still something of a novelty to have a leader of the Labour Party boasting about what happened about the Labour under Labour. Yeah. Uh, like, it, you know, you could get a GP appointment, like, like you could under Labour. Will, you know, you can't get a cancer treatment like under Labour. That's that's quite something, that Keir Starmer is now, what, 12 years, almost 13 years after yeah. Labour left office. Tony Blair will be doing whatever the opposite of spinning in his grave is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because don't forget, when Gordon Brown came in, he wasn't too fond of saying what Tony Blair had done well. And then Ed Miliband became Labour leader and had an, almost an aneurysm about mentioning anything that had ever gone before. Um, and then Jeremy Corbyn, of course, basically hated most of what had gone before um, and was certainly shy of ever praising the previous Labour government. Um, none of the previous Labour governments had ever gone far enough for him. So, yes, it is novel and it was a nice sort of little riff, you know, he used it three or four times, um, and that will be cheering for his own benches. Um, but, you know, give Sunak his due. That was a pretty um, rambunctious response, and, um, you know, it set out what he's trying to achieve. It set out what he announced in his big speech. He's got these five priorities. Um, this bloke on the other side is carping and moaning, and I'm here to deliver, mm. and that really is the only argument Rishi Sunak's got. And... The main task he's got this year is to buy enough time for some of that stuff to happen. Yeah, yeah. Because this time next year, he can't have the same lines. No, he can't have the same lines. What he hopes is that he's able to say, I delivered on all five of the things I told you last January, um, and now here's some more things. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to deliver on those as well. And I've got a track record. Don't change horses midstream. Uh, we had all these other exciting Tory leaders, but they didn't get on and do it, and I'm getting on and doing it. And that will be his argument. Um and so PMQs this year is going to be a series of holding Sunak to account for those five pledges or saying that the five pledges are meaningless and not enough. But, you know, he hopes if he can show some delivery that he's got half a chance. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting bit. Lots, lots of comments on exactly this on the, uh, on the YouTube channel. John says the electoral resonance of Sunak's speech will be por proportionate to how well people feel he's delivered for them 
Not, I suspect, much. Uh, what, what precisely is he delivering, says Graham. He's delivering, and then there's four asterisks uh, from another John. Uh, and I suppose that's the big that's the big question, isn't it? He's he's still in the early days at the moment. But if your if your thing is I'm getting on in delivering, you've got to show uh, some progress on that. One other final thought, um, Tim, because I know you're a fan of sitting through focus groups as I do. Um, I think it was question four from Keir Starmer. He used the phrase "scratch the surface," and you soon see that there's nothing there. That feels like the sort of thing which comes out of a focus. We've we've seen a little bit of that yeah. from some of the ones that we've done. I mean, it used to be the sort of thing that came out of focus groups about Keir Starmer, yeah. ironically. Um, and if that's now percolating about Sunak, I haven't, I must confess, heard that. But I that think... sort of sense of it's all a bit thin, he's a bit showbiz, he's a bit yeah. PR, the, the, the glossy party political broadcasts are being released tonight, all sort of feeds into that. Um, and I just wonder whether Labour are uh, sort of trying out some of those lines. Yeah, they, I think they probably are trying it out. I mean, if you'd asked me what you find under the surface if you lifted the lid off Rishi Sunak, you'd probably a sort of very, very high-powered computer beavering away. Yes, well, in a not very, very well exciting, not yeah, very yeah, yeah. exciting way, but yeah. um, doing a lot of sums. Doing a lot of sums. Um, rather than sort of completely vacuous and empty. But, um, yeah, um, if that does start to catch on, then... Uh, it's interesting for Sunak because he's both of those things. He yeah. has tried to play the sort of um, glib appearance card and, you know, pretty well anybody who knows him knows that he's also a, There's more a sort him. of mind-numbing details man yeah, as well. Yeah. So, but, you know, being a details man is not sexy um, yeah. politically, um, only if it becomes delivery. And, you know, the other challenge he's got, he can turn around at the end of the year, he will hope and say, I've delivered on these five promises. Yeah. But I think the bigger picture that Labour need to exploit is that um, how much will that make people feel their lives are changing? Now, some yeah, people yeah. who follow politics might think, oh, well, there's a clever bit of politics that he's now achieved that. But, you know, our bill's coming down, our people beginning to feel and I suppose a bit that's more secure. The, that's the key thing. Is it, his promises are very like, let's get back to square one. Yeah. Let's stop the boats coming. Yeah. Let's get inflation back to something a bit more manageable. It's not... You are going. Your life is going to be better. It's going to be. It's your life is going to be not as worse as it was. Yeah, I think there's an esoteric point that's useful. Is you know people want also to think that their government is competent and yeah, getting yeah. on with things. And I think for it's fair to say that for some time they haven't felt that. Certainly for a year or more, and yeah. some of them for longer than that. But um, you know the, all the distractions in the Conservative Party um, uh, made it look like they you know were barely able to um, tie their own shoelaces each morning. Um, um, if soon, you know, Sunak, I think, has already shown enough to convince people that there's a, you know, at least someone getting on with things. Yeah. And if if he looks like he's beginning to make some progress, that will have some kind of effect on people. But you know, I think what a lot of people want to see is changes to their own lives rather than just the sort of sense that the government isn't making everything worse all the time. <laughs> and that's kind of the yeah, point yeah. Starmer was making at the end. You know, yeah. at the moment, what he's <laughs> At some point in the indeterminate future, we promise to stop making things worse. And that's, um, you <laughs> put, know, that, put that on a bus. Uh, it's a difficult argument to sort of make pithily and fun, but, you know, I, th I, you know, I would give them both reasonably high marks for that. Andy says five out of ten for Sunak, seven out of ten for Starmer, two for Sunak, says Madge, eight for Starmer. And then John and Robert have given exactly the same uh, score in the same uh, format. Three out of ten for Sunak, seven out of ten for Starmer. Generally, sevens and eights for Starmer, basically. Threes and fours uh, for Rishi Sunak. Uh, Rishi Sunak's repeated lines are unbelievable, says Luke, given that Starmer is often attacked for not being union-friendly enough. Uh, but that is a good point, isn't it, I suppose, uh, Tim Shipman, uh, who's still here. The, the, I'm not sure the unions think that Keir Starmer's in their pocket. Uh, no, that's certainly true. 
I was pondering between a seven and eight for Starmer. I'd give Sunak a bit more. I think uh, some of the listeners are underestimating what PMQs is all about in terms of him shoring up his support with his own party. They seem pretty happy with his performance. He made the points he wanted to make, and I think that puts him, you know, yeah. in the six range personally. And uh, somebody's asking about. Oh, we don't need to get bogged that. Uh, right, uh, let's go back to the House Commons. The best of the rest now. Uh, we'll kick off with the uh, newish uh, leader of the SNP in Westminster, is uh, Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, if he wants to talk about the fact that Scotland is energy rich but fuel poor on Westminster's watch, I am more than happy to do so. But for today, let's reflect upon numbers, and in particular those numbers which were shone a light on by Sam Coates of Sky, in particular those in relation to the Prime Minister's favourite potential successor, which showed that over the course of four months, from four speeches, he raked in in excess of a million Pounds. Does the Prime Minister not find it utterly perverse that senior members of the Conservative Party are feathering their nest in this way, whilst at the same time seeking to deny working people the opportunity to strike for fair pay? Yeah. Um, I, well, Mr Speaker, I don't, I don't think we need to talk about our predecessors, but I reckon, I remember, I remember... I think, a reference to... Uh, Ian Blackford, who was, was actually bumped off by Stephen Flynn. I think it was one of his predecessors that did indeed work for Russia Today, if I'm not mistaken. But, That's Alex Salmond. But what I would say is, he talks about the priorities. You know, yesterday the SNP spent time talking yet more about independence at a time when we should be talking about delivering for people across the United Kingdom, focusing on their jobs, improving the NHS across the UK, in Scotland as need as in everywhere else. That's the kind of thing I want to talk to the Scottish Government about, and I hope that he'll work with me to do that. I think Stephen Finn might have got his predecessors and successors I muddled up there. his successor. I was thinking, well, who does Rishi Sunak <laughs> Who is Rishi Sunak's favoured successor? Yeah. Yeah, it's obviously Boris Johnson in his million-pound uh, extra earnings from speeches as a result. Uh, well, I think we did actually know all of that. Uh, well, indeed, and then Flynn talked about, you know, stopping people from striking for fair pay. I mean, I was slightly surprised Sunak didn't make the point that the legislation doesn't stop anybody striking for yeah. fair pay. It merely sets up minimum service levels... Um, that they leave behind. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure there's a huge amount to unpick from that. I think. Next. Let's go. <laughs> Next. Next. An absolute treat for us all. Still with us before he goes off and becomes a permanent uh, celebrity. Uh, in the House of Commons, it's Matt Hancock. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the disgusting anti-Semitic, anti-vax conspiracy theories that have been promulgated online this morning are not only deeply offensive, but anti-scientific and have no place in this house or in our wider society. Well, can I join with my right honourable friend in completely condemning those types of comments that we saw this morning in the strongest possible terms. Obviously, it is utterly unacceptable to make linkages and use language like that, and I'm determined that the scourge of anti-Semitism is eradicated. It has absolutely no place in our society. And I know that the previous few years have been challenging for the Jewish community, and I never want them to experience anything like that ever again. So this is obviously all in reference to uh, Andrew Bridgen, who, during the course of the show today... I mean, I thought the biggest problem with the show was he was he'd been tweeting about me, but then he decided to tweet, linking to a conspiracy theorist website. As one consultant cardiologist said to me, this this is the, referring to the rollout of the COVID vaccine. This is the biggest crime against humanity since the Holocaust. 
Uh, not long afterwards, uh, the Conservative Chief Whip withdrew uh, the whip from Andrew Bridgman, so he's now suspended from the House of Commons for five days for breaking lobbying rules. He's now suspended as a Conservative, but he, he obviously remains an MP. Does it something interesting about this? I mean, it's interesting that Matt Hancock uh, sort of raised it at the Commons, Tim. It's interesting that it's the reference to the Holocaust, which they've decided is the reason to take action against him. Not Other the fact than the cranky anti-vax stuff. Very, very cranky anti-vax stuff, talking about it being the work of the secret services. Uh, he used a House of Commons debate before Christmas... Yes, he did. ..to make some completely unfounded claims about the vaccines not being safe. It's sort of interesting... The question isn't the fact that they... Why did they suspend him today? For me, anyway. It's why didn't they do something sooner? Yeah, I think I mean, that's a very fair point. Um, there are some things that are easier to um, condemn than others. And, you know, anti-Semitism is a clean-owned goal for the Tories to... You know, Bridgen, you know, is one of those um, eccentric characters. Um, quite good political judgment in some ways on uh, things. He's got a feel for his constituency. He gives good quote. So he's one of those people who's always been around, but feels disgruntled, has never been made a minister, looks for a cause... He found it in Brexit, he's now found it in anti-vaxxery. Um, and he's one of those people who takes things to the nth degree and, uh, as far as a lot of his colleagues are concerned, goes far too far. And um, he's constantly convinced that everybody's got it in for him and that everybody's got it in for people who think like him. And so it's very easy to see how someone with that kind of mentality would um, uh, find this kind of issue attractive. Um, now... It's legitimate to raise questions about the vaccine, but as you rightly point out, and Andrew Percy did earlier, most of what he's saying is complete crankery. But it's easier to say that's anti-Semitic than it is yeah. to say this is completely off-beam. And, 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 you know, and Hancock's you... a former health secretary and he wanted to make an issue of it. I suppose the other thing is that if you start getting into the vaccine thing with him you end up having a war of words about facts yeah, and figures. Yeah, and you're disappearing and you're, down a rabbit hole. You end up quickly. giving it legitimacy. You, yeah. There's even a debate when uh, exactly. most people say there isn't. And the interesting thing there, I mean, just on the specifics, I mean, Hancock's wording was very much, I don't think this bloke should be an MP anymore, yeah. let alone a member of the Conservative Party, and we're at the point where he's had the whip suspended. Yeah. Sunak didn't say that he yeah, should be yeah, kicked yeah. out as an MP, deselected or, um, you know, um, put in a position no where he has no place in this house or wider society yeah. is what I'm saying. And, and the PM did not quite embrace yeah. all of that. Um, for the very good reason, I suspect, that that would create problems and, you know, some Brexiteers would find a reason to have a grievance uh, on Bridgen's behalf, um, you know, and it would create more internal tensions. But, yeah, Bridgen is a maverick and he's really... He's gone too far this time. And... Uh, it's quite hard to see how he comes back. Suspended from the House of Commons for breaking lobbying rules, now suspended for being anti-Semitic and a crank. What, at what point does Rishi Sunak think this is the week to bring him back into the fold? It's hard to see that he would. The interesting thing would be what does Bridgen's constituency party think about it up in yeah, yeah. northwest Leicestershire? Yes, and uh, what do all the potatoes think? That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.